Let's praise him this morning. Standing here in your presence, thinking of the good things you have done, waiting here patiently just to hear you still small voice again. Holy, righteous, faithful till the Southfield. I hope you've had a great weekend. Um, I was able to spend the weekend with some awesome ladies from our church. If you were there at the women's retreat, um, you know what I'm talking about. And it was just a great time for us to connect and to uh, be transparent and just to hear God speak to us and how we can better live for him and how he looks at us and perceives us and sees us. 
Um, but through that, I did realize, and I and I think we're all aware that we all come from different places, and we all carry different things into into this place on Sunday morning when we worship together. It's great to worship together, and we all stand here worshiping the same God. But we all do come in with different things. And I want to encourage you as you're singing this morning, as you're worshiping God and you're focusing on Him and you're connecting with Him to become more intimate with Him, that you can leave those things behind and you can focus on Him because you know what? He's not going to leave you. And you have a reason to praise Him no matter all the things that are going through, um, through your mind and through your heart and through your life. And He will give you victory and He will deliver you from those things that you're struggling with. This is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire in or trial or pain. There is a faith proved more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the flame. And I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare God is my Oh! 
that you would rid us of ourselves, God. Pour more of you into us so there's less of us, less sin, less selfishness, Lord, less pride, more humility, more love, more joy and peace. God, we give you ourselves this morning. Speak to us, change us, open our eyes. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see you today. It's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. This weekend, our, a bunch of our ladies uh, had a great time together at a retreat. It's been wonderful to hear the, the reports from that, uh, the opportunities people had to get involved in, in speaking and serving in ways that maybe for some it was new or, or new in that context. And it's just good to see uh, people jumping out and growing in that way. Mentioned uh, Thursday, Thanksgiving. I know that that's a day that we tend to celebrate turkeys and, uh, and some of us celebrate by eating way too much of it. So we want to give you a little head start on your celebration. On that morning, uh, you can join a gang of other people from church to go on a little run. All right? What are you doing, Bob? A 10K, a 25? What exactly? What you set up for here? <laughs> yeah, five-mile warm-up. Right. And they'll be dragging a turkey. So you get to run after that. And, but no, you can meet uh, 8 o'clock. It's going to be over at the uh, park in Joliet. If you want to know more about that, Bob's right on the front. And, and in fact, he's real easy to find because he's one of, well, actually one of a few people wearing a Green Bay jersey today. Go ahead, boo. Feel good about yourselves. There you are. You're in church. You should have something to hate. All right. Now you feel so much better about yourselves. But anyway, uh, you want to sign up for that on the table at the back, or you can even put it on your card Either way, we'll be able to go ahead and get started with that. Well, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we've been in a series of talking about our um, sacred pathways, the ways that we, that we naturally connect with God. And one of the things we've been doing in that conversation is talking specifically about prayer and how we pray, how we go about praying. Uh, praying isn't just left to pastors and missionaries. God's looking for every one of us to make a connection with God through prayer. And we've been talking about a different kind of prayer, not just a prayer that that reads a list to God, but a prayer that really takes the time to enter into a relationship with him. So we've been being really practical and walking through a method, just walking through a pathway that you can use in order to learn more about prayer. 
had someone emailed me this past week a question about prayer, and I love the question. I love it for a couple reasons. One's because someone had the guts to ask. You know, sometimes we're, we have questions in our minds, questions that, that we're afraid to say because we're afraid, oh my goodness, we, we might look like uh, we're dumb. We might look like, you know, that's something that everybody should know, and I don't know. And I just, I commend them for having the guts to just lay it out there. The, the question was, um, do you have to pray out loud in order for God to hear you? That's a great question. And, and the th- part of what I like about that question, it causes me beyond just I, reflexively, I, reflexively, I just say, well, no, of course you can pray in your head. But I need to think through, why would I say that? And it helped me to remind once again that uh, God's omniscient. He knows everything. It, the Bible tells us he knows the secret hidden things in your life. So it's not vital that, that words come out of your mouth in order, to, in order for God to hear you. In fact, the Bible says he knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. The Bible even says that sometimes when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. The Spirit groans on our behalf. So we don't necessarily have to speak out loud. On the other hand, one time I was having a conversation where I told someone, I pray out loud to just kind of, you know, keep me tuned in. Because, uh, let's face it, sometimes I'll be walking and praying and I see a shiny thing. And before you know it, I'm distracted and, and running all over. And so talking out loud a little bit helps me to hear my voice, to have my lips moving. Uh, that, that helps. And the person said, should you pray out loud? Isn't it possible that when you're praying out loud, Satan's hearing you? And you're giving away the, you know, your, your plans to the enemy. And in, in hearing that question as well, I thought, well, you know... Uh, Satan is not God's uh, co-equal opposite of evil. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But Satan and his demons do work on a different plane than simply a physical plane. They work on, on a mental plane and on a spiritual plane. So just because we didn't say something out loud doesn't mean that Satan knows it. You see, the bottom line of this is even something as simple as should we pray out loud or should we pray silently is something that you have to think through. And people have a lot of questions related to prayer. How does it work? Why do we do it? Why should I pray if God already knows everything that's going on, everything in my head anyway? And what we've learned most basically is we pray because humans need to connect with God. We were designed to connect with God, every one of us. He, he planted eternity in our hearts, and we're made to make a connection with him. As you've grown in your prayer life, you've probably gone through uh, some of these stages. When we start out in prayer, a lot of times we start by talking at God. Maybe as a little kid, you were taught a prayer, a mealtime prayer, or a bedtime prayer, and you just said it. You didn't even know what you were saying or why you were saying it. You You just quoted it. You were talking at God. And there comes a point, hopefully, in your prayer that you move from talking at God to talking to God where you actually start to maybe own those words you're saying. You may still be doing a quoted prayer, but you're starting to recognize there's meaning behind this. And and so you move from just uh, mimicking or parroting what someone else is saying to actually owning what you're saying. I hope that you'll move even further to talking with God, to a place that you actually start to have a conversation with Him, that it's not just following what someone else has told you to say, but you're starting to have a conversation, a conversation where you're both speaking and listening to what God has to say. But ultimately, moving beyond all of that, we want to come to a point that our stage of prayer is about being with God. 
where we're experiencing uh, what we would use the word communion. And by communion, I'm not talking about the, the practice that we'll go through in a little bit. But the opportunity to enter into a real friendship, a real relationship with God, the kind of relationship that we're abiding in Christ, we're walking with God. We find ourselves like Paul, ceaselessly praying. We are just constantly conscious of the presence of God, and we're growing through those. Well, what we're trying to do in this series is is push toward that final stage where we're not just talking at God but we're being with God. We're really taking the time for a conversation with Him. The kind of prayer we're talking about is the kind that focuses on connecting with God rather than simply reciting a list. We're not just giving God our list and then walking away, but we're doing more than that. We're we're connecting with Him. It's a kind of prayer that ruminates, meditates, and reflects. had a, a friend who listened to the podcast last week, and she happens to raise cows. And so when we were talking about that idea of ruminating, taking the food down, bringing the food up, taking it down, bringing it up, she really related to that. You know, she gave us some of her beef one time. On their farm, they name all their animals. So, you know, we, we got Daisy in our freezer. And, and you know, I, I, I really prefer going to Jewel where it's just nameless beef. But anyway, uh, it was kind of a, a funny deal she had going. Anyway. But ruminating, really taking the time to meditate and reflect and connect with with God. It's prayer that appreciates stillness and silence and allows for space to breathe and for God to move. It's prayer that doesn't always fill the, the air with words, but sometimes just sits quietly in God's presence. Some of you may remember uh, Kelly Newton. She used to sing on the, on the platform with us and, and was part of our staff for a while. Lives in Tennessee now. Kelly was just tense when, when a conversation went silent. We'd be talking and, and I'd stop talking and, and you could see her. She's getting jittery. Like, she, you know, she's on too much caffeine. I'm like, she says, will you talk? Will you say something? She couldn't handle that kind of silence. It drove her crazy. Some of us are that way with God. That if, if we stop for a minute... Uh, We get nervous. And part of the reason we get nervous when we're quiet with God is because the truth of who we are is laid bare. It's there. God sees it all. And we like to fill our our minds and and our mouths with noise instead of being exposed before God for who we really are. It's a kind of prayer that both speaks and listens and spends time developing a conversation with God. We've been calling this transformative prayer or life-changing prayer, waiting prayer. The bottom line is it's a prayer that changes me. Not just a prayer that we're looking to change things, to change other people, to impact others. It's a prayer that changes who I am. Because we believe in Romans 12 too when it says that we're not to conform to the patterns of this world. We're not supposed to be just going along with what the world thinks and, and their logic. But we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we do a kind of praying that puts truth in our minds. And we're reflecting on the truth. And as we reflect on the truth, our lives are really changed. Well, this process of prayer that we're talking about has, has three elements to it. And we started last week talking about the first element, where we just spend time connecting with God. And then this week, we're going to talk about coming clean. We're just going to focus on this issue of confession. And next week, clear focus where we ask God to direct us throughout our day. Let's move back to the connect word. That one, just to review a little bit of where we were with that. When we connect, there are a few things we hope to do. We remind ourselves that we're talking to God. 
Uh, It sounds crazy, but sometimes when we're praying, we forget who we're talking to. We can be kind of glib, especially mealtime prayers. We might as well just say, let's eat, because that's what it's become for a lot of us. It's It's a starting gun instead of a real conversation with the living God. When I start to pray, I enter God's throne room. And I, and I need to be aware of that. So I'm remembering that I'm talking to God. I'm remembering who he is. I'm reflecting on his character. I'm recounting his goodness. Hopefully we'll do some of that this week. Recounting the good things God has done in our lives. And it reorients our thinking. It helps us to start thinking about the truth instead of just thinking, you know, the head junk that's in our heads all the time that isn't necessarily true. And so one of the ways we recommended that you go through this process of connecting. We're calling it praying in sevens. And it's basically this idea of taking a a term like you are or I need you, an an opening word, an opening very short phrase, and pray seven things related to that word. So you're praying, God, I know. And you start to pray things that you know about God. Why seven? Well, I ran across it accidentally just in the, in the prayer method that I use. But here's one of the, the things I realized as I did that. If I pray three things, I can come up with them really easily. Four isn't even a real stretch. But five, six, and seven, now I really have to start thinking. Now I really have to start going deeper and thinking about where I am in my, in my relationship with God. If you want to learn more about that, you can catch the podcast from last week and get an idea of how that works. One of the things that I found helpful, if you're going to pray for seven things, have, have some physical object that you can use. Whether it's a, a rope with seven knots in it or seven coins and you're transferring from one hand to the other or seven stones. I know some of you, you're great. You can remember, I get lost. And so it's easier for me to be able to look down and go, oh, I'm on the second thing or the third thing. And it helps me to stay focused. I'm always doing anything I can in my prayer to stay focused. Because before you know it, I'm creating grocery lists and having all kinds of fun instead of remembering that I'm actually there to talk to God. Two of the things that are really important when we're doing this process of of connecting with God through praying in sevens, um, I'm limiting my requests. Remember, this isn't about bringing a grocery list to God. I'm not coming to God and telling him all the things that are wrong that I want him to fix or something. I'm focusing on his character, focusing on his goodness, keeping my eyes on truth. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is to keep on task and push through. I'm sure this happens to you. It happens to me. There are days that I wake up and from the start, life is just falling apart really fast. Maybe it's something that happened the night before. Maybe maybe it's just news that I got. Maybe it's something heavy that's happening in my life. And I I wake up and there it is on my mind. And when I go to pray, what I want to do is say, God, I'm going to skip the connecting part. We're getting straight to my junk. We're We're going right to the problems today. I'd encourage you to push through, to keep on task. Spend the time connecting with God. And what happens very often, if you will work through that discipline, if you'll work through that process, by the time that time is done, your problems get in perspective. Your issues get in focus. This, again, is like Peter and the waves. I mean, he takes that step out of the boat, and it says he's doing fine as long as he's looking at Jesus. But the second he looked at the waves, he started to sink. This process helps to get our eyes on Jesus And suddenly the waves start to look a lot smaller. They look in control because God is in control of the stuff of my life. 
So that's connecting. Let's go to the second one today. We're just going to focus on coming clean, where we spend time in our prayer time confessing, just confessing to God. And as we confess, there are going to be two things that we're going to spend time confessing. The first is pretty obvious. I'm going to spend some time confessing my sins. Confession of sin is a fully owned admission of one's own sin or their guilt, including repentance and the desire for forgiveness. Why do we say fully owned? Because sometimes we'll come to God and we'll confess our sins, but we'll blame everybody else for what happened. God, I wouldn't have done it if so-and-so. I mean, right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, there's this blame game going on. Hey, she gave me the fruit. What I, I was, we need a fully owned confession. One that says, God, I did this. This is mine. And I'm owning it. And the sooner we can come to owning it, the sooner we're honest to God and we're honest to ourselves. And, and what we're seeking in this is honesty. What we're seeking is truth. It's a fully owned admission of one's sin, including repentance and the desire for forgiveness. The repentance part is huge. Repentance is this concept that I'm going in a certain direction and I stop and I go entirely in the other direction. There are Christians who will take, claim that verse in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I've known people who have literally said, I know that verse is true, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I want, and I'll pray that later, and God has to forgive me. That's just a clear violation of our relationship with God. When I confess my sin, I don't say, God, I'm sorry for that one, but later I'm going to do it again. I say, I confess my sin, and my intent, God, is to turn, is to turn in the opposite direction. It includes repentance and the desire of forgiveness, where I'm asking for God, God, I really do need you to forgive me for the wrong thing I've done. And let's face it, it's not just about what we do. A lot of times, especially as you grow in Christ, it's about your attitudes. We're all good at doing the right thing. But are we doing it with the right spirit inside? And the amazing thing is God sees that too. We can all get away with a good show on the outside, but God sees the inside and he wants us to be honest with him even in what's going on on the inside of our heart. Now here are some things that I've found helpful in the process of confession. And by the way, when it comes to confession and prayer, I don't think it's just kind of a, God, I'm sorry for my sins. All right, let's get on to the next thing. I mean, how would you do if someone had really violated your relationship and they came to you and said, hey, sorry. All right, next. Uh, We need to spend some time, not not in penance. We're not paying for our sin, sin, but some time recognizing the gravity of it and asking God to forgive us for the things that we've done. So spending some time in confession, these are some things that I've found very helpful. I'll use passages of scripture that focus on confession. I'll use past prayers, prayers that other people have prayed as a prompt to get my mind to thinking about where my heart is. There are some prepared statements that I use. I'll show you one of them. And then just obviously personal comments where I'm just coming clean before God. Part of what happens as we're um, coming before God in confession, sometimes you know what you did wrong. Clear as day. The blood's on your hand. There it is. I know. It's my fault. Sometimes, honestly, I just have to come to God and say, God, 
I don't know if I've done wrong or not. I need your spirit to show me. And I don't want to just just do kind of a generic, God, just forgive me. Okay, we're good. If there's something to be revealed, I want him to reveal it. That's why I think using scripture helps where the spirit is able to use the scripture to prompt things in my life that need forgiveness. So I love this verse. And I pray it consistently. Psalm 38, 18. By the way, the whole chapter is a great chapter of confession. David says, but I confess my sins to you. I'm deeply sorry for what I've done. And I'll say that verse. And then I'll just say, okay, God, let me know. What have I done? What have I done that's violated our relationship? Uh, I don't think you can ever go wrong using Psalm 51. This is like the ultimate Uh, expression of confession in the Bible. In fact, the title above the psalm says, this is instruction for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Everybody knows he committed adultery. Everybody knows he murdered this this woman's husband in order to have her for himself. Everyone knows And so now we get to hear David's heart, a heart that is an expression that God calls a man after God's own heart. You remember King Saul, the reason he's not called a man after God's own heart, he blames everyone else for his sin. Wasn't my fault, it's all these other people. But David owns his own sin. What does he say? As you start to work through this psalm, and I just take this psalm and start to read it and let God speak to me through it and say, God, reveal to me where I've done what is wrong, what's an offense to you. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Now, when you take a passage like this and you just read it day after day after day, it's funny how God will bring different things to light. Just it's something that he'll grab and say, think about this for a moment. So one day I'm praying and I come across this and I see this blot out the stains of my sin. And all I could imagine was this area of my shirt. I've got this nasty habit. I don't know why, but this is where food lands. I mean, inevitably, you look at my white shirts, you will find spaghetti stains, uh, former mushrooms, you'll find all kinds of things right here. And my wife is an expert at blotting out the stains of my food. Somehow she's able to take a stain that's been there for a long time, and all of a sudden that stain is gone. And so I'm walking one day, and I'm praying, and I read those words, blot out the stains of my sin. And I think, what is it like to walk around with all these stains on that shirt all the time? I want to get rid of that shirt. I don't want to look like some sort of, you know, Shanabilly. I want, I want to clean up here, man. I want to, I want to look right. And, and, and I love the fact that, yeah, it's a term we use. But anyway, um, <clears throat> just us kids. Anyway, uh, my wife's able to clean that. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't want to walk around with the stain of my sin on me. And God is able to blot my stain, my sin out, that stain out, and take it away. Sometimes the sin itself is removed. The guilt is removed, but I feel like the stain is still there. And God's able to remove the stain. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. You know what I love? He uses the word rebellion. Because that's what sin is. We want to say it's a mistake. An error in judgment. A youthful indiscretion. It's rebellion. I've chosen to do the opposite of what God wants. And that's being a rebel. That's what he's calling me. 
That, I need to recognize sin for what it is. How about this? Verse 4. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. At first glance, you look at that verse and you think, what a cop-out. He committed adultery. He killed a guy. And he's saying, against you have I sinned? What about Uriah? What about these other people? You know, what, you know what's happening in this, day, in this passage? I love what David's doing. He's saying the fundamental issue of sin is that it's against God. Have you ever known somebody or maybe yourself where you've been doing something wrong or someone else is doing something wrong and they say, the only person that's hurting me is me. Why should it matter to you? Why should you care? The only person that hurts is me. Well, according to this verse, the only person that hurts is God. It's a sin against God. And so I want to come to him and fix it because it's not just against me. It's something that I've done against God. He keeps going to say, I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, I don't know about you, I saw my babies as they were first born, and it was hard to look at them and go, you little sinner. I I looked at them and go, wow, you're amazing. Now, give it a couple months, I'm like, there it is. But we're sinful from the womb. You go, what? If you are a child of Adam, you're sinful from the womb. And we're all children of Adam. Unless you're a Martian, he's dressed in green. You never know. But we're all children of Adam. We all have sin. We sin by nature and choice. It's not the first time you did something wrong that you became a sinner. The Bible says we're sinful from the moment of our conception. We're sinful by nature and by choice. So in this passage, he's revealing to us the truth of the nature of sin. He goes on to say, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And as a buffalo kid growing up in that region, I look at that verse and I think of those mornings we'd wake up and there'd be two and a half feet of lake effect sitting on our lawn. And I'll tell you what, that snow can even make a place like North Tonawanda, New York look beautiful. It's just out of the clear blue. The place looks clean, spotless, amazing. And God is able to take our sin and wash it so that it's white and pure all over again. Oh, give me back the joy that has been lost. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. The truth is, for a lot of us, when our sin has uh, come to full term, our joy is gone. There's a lot of brokenness. There are relationships that are hurt. There's all kinds of problems that have come about, results of our sin. And we're saying, God, I need to smile again. But the smile isn't going to happen until there's true repentance. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. There are mornings I read this verse and it just it feels a little oppressive to me. Have you ever done something wrong? I don't mean a sin. You goofed. You made something and you, and you totally botched it. I don't know, maybe. One time I fixed a water, water pump on a car. It was hilarious. We drove the car from Northbrook to uh, Gurney and it stopped. And so I pulled off into the gas station and my uncle came and he's like, the thing fell off. What'd you do? Well, I guess I didn't tighten it very well. And there he is staring at it. The whole time he's staring at it. Wow, what kind of moron did this? I mean, don't you know to tighten the screws? Are you crazy? And you're kind of like, yeah, I know. I I will never touch a car again. I'm sorry. I promise. I don't know about you. I don't want God staring at my sins. I already know how messed up I am. And the thought that God is staring at the wrong... I'm just like, God, would you turn your back? 
would you just stop looking? I can't stand my guilt anymore. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. What did he say sin was? Rebellion. And he says, I want to be loyal. I don't want to be a rebel. I want to be on your side. I want to be loyal again. I want to be loyal to you. Other verses that prompt me, that help me. Psalm 19, when David says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? He asks it as a question. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And then this beautiful part, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, sometimes we don't know what we've done that is wrong. And we say, God, I need you to reveal the sin that's lurking in my heart. Or in Psalm 39, where David says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Are you willing to say that to God and then be quiet? Point out anything in me that offends you. And then give him a chance to point. Give him a chance to reveal it. What needs to be fixed? What needs to change? I have some other verses that prompt thoughts as I'm praying in confession. I I typically look at this passage from Genesis 39 where Joseph is asked by Potiphar's wife to commit adultery. And and Joseph says, "Your, your, your husband has given me control of everything in the household. He lets me touch anything except you. How in the world could I do such a thing and sin against God? And when I hear that line, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? It reminds me again, my sin isn't just something, it's not just my indiscretion, it's not just a mistake, it's an offense against God. Or I read Hebrews 11 where it talks about Moses growing up in Pharaoh's household and he said he refused to to enjoy what was going on in Pharaoh's household. Instead, he identified with the other slaves of Egypt. He said he did that instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I need to be reminded of that, that whatever pleasure I might get out of sin, it lasts this long and it's gone. It's gone. And then the way it ends, it says, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Are you ever willing to hold out on sin here because of the great reward that's coming in heaven? Are you ever willing to hold out on doing that wrong thing for a moment because of the great reward that is coming when we're with our Lord? Now, a lot of times in confession, what can happen is we can start, we can move from confession to oppression. We feel so guilty that we don't want to even come out of our room. And that's not the idea of confession. God's not looking for you to pay for your own sin. They've already been paid for He's not looking for you to do some penance. So make sure you turn your eyes to the truth about confession as well. Truth we already pointed out earlier. If you truly, sincerely confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all wickedness. We need to remember that. That it's not as if you don't have to pray ten times for God to forgive and then he finally does. If you're sincere in asking, God is offering you his forgiveness. Or I love this verse in Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I'm so glad. 
Because honestly, if he weren't, I'd be a spot on the road right now. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Use Scripture passages in your time of confession. Let these Bible writers speak to you. The Spirit will use it to reveal areas that you need to say, God, I need your forgiveness. Now, another thing I like to use is past prayers. One book in particular that I found helpful, it's called The Valley of Vision. Pass it around so you can take a peek at it. Um, It's helpful. It's full of prayers from, from Puritans. Great, rich prayers. The only issue with them is they're written in kind of old English. So what I do typically is I find them. If you type in like a line from it on the Internet, you usually find the prayer. I bring it over and modify it so that I can understand it. So I eliminate the these and thous. And and sometimes I personalize them because they'll be we and I want it to say me instead. But let let me give you just uh, one of them that I find just wonderful. It's called, Oh, Savior, Help Me. He begins by saying, I am so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb. Then this line, I am in the foothills when I should be in the heights. I'll never forget the first time I saw that line. I'm like, God, I'm 50 years old. I've been a Christian for over 40 of them. Why in the world am I still staring at the top of the mountain? Why in the world am I not there yet? I'm in the foothills when I should be in the heights. He goes on to talk about he's pained by his graceless heart his prayerless days, his poverty of love, his sloth in the heavenly race, his sullied conscience, wasted hours, unspent opportunities. The the ending, grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief. Every once in a while, just one of those lines will pop out and God's spirit will use it to convict me of something going on in my life. He ends... um, by saying lines like this, as I have position in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek in the creature what can only be found in the creator. And this line hit me one morning and it hasn't been able to let me go. Let not faith cease from seeking you until it vanishes into sight. I look forward to the day that I won't need faith anymore to believe that God's there. I'll see that God is there. I'll see him. There he'll be. So using other people's prayers can be really helpful. I mentioned statements as well. I've given to you this one already from John Piper. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. Have you ever thought of it that way? We think sin is what you do when you feel like being nasty. No. Sin is what I do when when I'm not finding full satisfaction in God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds some promise of happiness. The promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. So based on this statement, I ask myself two questions every time I use it. What are my idols? What are the things in my life that I think are going to bring me better satisfaction than God? And where do I try to find satisfaction other than God? All of these things are used to prompt me to think about where I am in terms of confessing my sin to God. Because the fact is, I I want to be able to walk with God. I want to be able to abide in Christ. I want to be able to have that kind of connection. And that's not going to happen if I have a brick wall of sin between me and God. So I want to sincerely come to him and confess my sin to him. I said confession has two parts to it. One is the confession of sin, where I admit my guilt. I admit my wrongdoing. But confession has another side as well. And that is when we confess the truth. When we we embrace what is true. 
Uh, some of the statements, classic statements of the church are called what? The confessions of the church. It's not that the church was saying we've done wrong. They're confessions that say this is truth. So, for example, the Apostles' Creed is considered a confession of the church. This is what we confess to be true. It's a statement of principles and belief, an expression of foundational truths. So when you're doing confession, I'd encourage you not only to dwell on confession of your sin, but also confession of truth or embracing truth statements and letting your mind be filled with truth statements. It's so important because, again, we're only transformed by the renewing of our mind. So you need some truth statements that you can embrace. There are all kinds of truth statements that you can spend time looking at, reading, and praying. Um, Time-tested statements of faith, like I said, something like the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Scripture passages. Truth statements that you just need to hear again and again. Maybe quotes that are just true. Uh, Life verses or prayers and passages uh, of protection from the evil one. Let me give you a few that I really love that are helpful to me. Psalm 90, a psalm written by Moses, is just an incredible statement. One of his statements in there is, teach me about the brevity of life. Teach me to number my days so that I might walk in wisdom. That's a truth statement I need to hear. Some days I don't feel like I'm going to die. Some days I feel like I'm three minutes away from death. And so on those days that I feel like I could go on forever, I need to be reminded uh, I can't call myself middle age anymore because I doubt I'm going to live to 100. There's more gone than there is to come. Teach me to number my days. Teach me the brevity of life. I love Romans 6. Romans 6 reminds me that I have a choice when it comes to sin. I don't go, oh, God, it just happened to me. I'm, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of sin, God. It just, woo, there it was in the bushes and it jumped me. No. It says that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have a choice because Jesus forgave my sin. He's given me power over sin. And so when I sin, it's because I'm saying I want to rebel against God. It's not because I'm a victim. So I use passages like that or 2 Corinthians 4 and others that are just helpful passages that are confessions of truth. So I'd encourage you in the confession time to do both. Take time to confess your sin, but also take time to dwell on truth statements and to claim those truth statements in your prayer. So as you're starting to put this together, continue your connecting. Some of you have been working those sevens. It's been cool to hear your reports of that. Keep doing it. And you know what? If it's not working for you yet, keep doing it. Because I'm telling you, if not anything else, the truth is seeping into your heart. And you will be amazed at the way over time you'll be transformed by truth. If you're measuring your spiritual growth in terms of minutes, am I better than I was a minute ago? You won't see it. But if you measure your spiritual growth in terms of where am I in comparison to six months ago, you will start to see transformation in your life. Then spend some time coming clean, both confessing to God your sin and confessing uh, the truth of Scripture. Now, I wanted to give you a bunch of passages, and honestly, to make all those copies, we would have been murdering a lot of trees. So what I'm going to do instead is a lot of the things I've talked about today, the passages that I use and things like that, I'll be posting them on the blog. You can go ahead and copy them for yourself. Go ahead and print it off. The ones that work for you, try them, use them, and start allowing Scripture and other truth statements uh, to really refocus uh, your prayer life. The other thing I'd like to encourage you on, December 10th, 
uh, that Monday evening from 7 to 9. I'm going to offer just a a follow-up evening. Everything we've talked about here, if this is something you want to continue to pursue, I'll show you some of the tools I use in my prayer time, things that I hope you will be able to use in order to grow more in yours. So actually in about uh, six minutes, an email is arriving in your box and it'll give a link that if you want to go ahead and register for that, you can. Okay? Let's talk to God. We never want to forget that right here, right now, we're walking into your presence. We're conscious of that, God. You're here. And we're here with you. We're not just talking to air. You hear us. I pray this week that you will grow us in our ability to confess. Help us to own our wrongdoing. God, I pray that we'd stop making excuses, we'd stop blaming, and we'd start seeing our rebellion for what it is. And that we'd make it right. You want to connect with us. You want a relationship that is free-flowing with us. Sin messes it up. And I pray that we would embrace the truth statements of your word that will change our minds and in the process change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So because it's Thanksgiving, I thought during this time of communion, I'd give you a chance to practice some sevens, all right? So the opening line is thank you. And while you're taking the time for communion this morning, would you, would you thank God for seven things? Seven things in your life. And, and I mean, really, you know, go deep on it. Don't go, yeah, thank God for the car. You know, that's, don't, don't go easy. I mean, I'm glad for a car. But, you know, really spend some time thinking about the things, the reasons that you can say to God, I am so grateful to you.
I do wonder, Jesus, when we when we look you eye to eye for the first time, what our reaction will be. Will we speak? Will we be silent? Will we fall to the ground? Will we celebrate? I don't know, today I find myself thinking that somehow the words thank you just aren't going to be enough. When we finally get it, when we finally understand what it is you did for us, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin, from our brokenness, from our separation from your Father. Thank you for giving us eternal life, a fresh start. Thank you for giving us the ability to live for you here on this earth. And thank you that we're going to be able to be with you forever. How I love you and thank you. We all do. In Jesus' name, your name, we pray. Amen. Our servers are coming right now to collect the offering. While they do, I want to remind you again that if you want to run on Thanksgiving, sign up on your way out. The sheet is on the table. Also on the table, you'll see a little truck with a lot of stuff in it. We have been on a a journey this past year of, of doing some serves as a church. We started last winter serving some people who are homeless uh, at Memorial Day, we, we did some serving for people who were in nursing homes this past fall. And through the last few weeks, we've been serving a, a girl who is now has twin babies and is working through the process of, of learning what it's like to be a mom for the first time. And now we want to bring the serve full circle. You remember last year in the warehouse, uh, all the stuff we had for our homeless baskets came from a basket company, and that stuff was kept in some pretty cool containers. We held on to them, some Christmas trucks and drums, and we held on to them for now to be able to now go ahead and give them away full of new things. So what we'd like to be able to do is honor uh, the teachers that teach in this school. There are about 30 of them. And what we want to do is on December 16th, we're going to put together baskets that we're then going to deliver to each of the classrooms so that when those teachers show up on Monday morning, there's going to be something there to say thanks to them for being a teacher and for the, for the role that they play in kids' lives. On top of that, we're saying a special thank you to some of them who allow us to destroy their room every week and their pens go missing, and they can't find their chalk and whatever, and that's thanks to us. So we just want to put a smile on their face, let them know thanks for serving us. We asked a couple of teachers, uh, Courtney Barrowman and and Jaron Wojewoda, to put together some sample baskets. So the one you see out there today is a sample that one of them put together of what would be cool to receive if you were a teacher. You have this flyer on the inside of your folder, and on the back side, it lists some of the things that you could go ahead and get to put in the baskets. We're not going to have every basket be exactly the same. We're going to let you go ahead and be moved by whatever you want. Some of you love that area of Target. It has all that stuff for a buck or the dollar store or whatever, and we can just go ahead and fill those up. I want you to look at the basket as you leave because what you don't want to do is like go buy a crock pot. It would be too big. Okay, we, we want to fill it with lots of fun stuff. And here are some good suggestions. Do know that there are, there are several male teachers at the junior high. And so what we're going to try to do is not only have foo-foo girly things, but we're going to have some cool things too so that the guys have a, a cool basket. All right? So uh, 
you can actually start picking these things up. And the idea is to bring them with you on or before December 16th. And it's going to be our way of being able to honor the teachers that are part of our community for the job that they do and for letting us use the school, which is a a great privilege. So let's stand up and uh, I'm going to pray and we'll be heading on our way. So God, this week we get the chance to be reminded of all the things you do in our life that give us reason for thanks. And I pray in the process of the preparation and getting to where we're going and doing all those things, we won't forget the reason for the day that we celebrate together. I pray that we would find ourselves uh, experiencing a truly grateful heart and that throughout the day, expressions of thanks would continue to rise from our hearts to yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So enjoy your Thanksgiving. Have a great day.